I'm here today to speak to you on the topic of we will not bow. We will not bow. 1937 in Moscow, a deputy was giving a speech and the speech was in honor of Stalin and how, what a wonderful leader he was. When he was finished the speech, according to Solzhenitsyn in his book, The Gulag. Oh, by the way, I always stand when I preach. And this morning, Pastor Doug said, you know, you can sit if you want. And I thought, what a great idea. And furthermore, the Bible says that Jesus sat and taught them. So I want to, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, he'd, he'd sit too and uh, that. So, but um, Solzhenitsyn tells the story. The speech was over. And when it was over, everybody stood up to clap. Five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes. Nobody wanted to stop the people in the back of the room. And I always keep my eye on the people in the back of the room because psychologically there's a reason why you choose the back seat. But Solzhenitsyn said, um, finally, after 11 minutes, when people were basically collapsing, the director of a printing factory sat down. Everybody was so glad. Everybody sat down. That night, the director of the printing factory was actually arrested and on trumped up charges was given 10 years in prison. But during his interrogation, he was told, don't ever be the first one to stop clapping. How does freedom die, says Solzhenitsyn? With thunderous applause. Everybody clapping, please. Now, a man by the name of Victor David Hansen has asked this question, is America being Sovietized? And he gives many different reasons, and today I'm only going to give you two, and then we're going to turn to the scriptures. One reason is, he says, in the Soviet Union, it was not competence that mattered, but whether or not you had loud enthusiasm for the Soviet system. In other words, whether or not you were clapping. Years ago in America, if you had a PhD, say in chemistry, you could apply for a job in any university if you were a good teacher and you knew your stuff as a Christian, it was okay that you were a Christian, you could uh, apply and probably get the job. Today you're going to be asked questions like, um, are you comfortable with multiple pronouns? Are you in line with the LGBTQ plus community? Have you bought into the whole thing? And if not, you may be denied the job. Last summer, Rebecca and I had breakfast with an attorney, and she told us how she is representing two women in a chain store, and you probably have one of those stores in your area, two women in a chain store who had been working there for 20 years, but were told that they had to wear a BLM signia and a rainbow to signify that they were clapping, that they were in line with the Zeitgeist, which is a German word for the spirit of the times and for the controlling realities of our culture. And when they said no, they were fired. Clap. I have a dent dentist friend who was a dentist for many years, treated everyone alike, but he had to take a course in uh, implicit bias and uh, microaggressions. And this class basically said that he had to give deference to the LGBTQ community. And he said to, when he was uh, told that 
he could ask questions. This was done on the internet. He's the only one who asked a question. And the question was something like this. I have Muslim clients. I don't expect them to rejoice in the fact or be glad about the fact that I eat pork. I do have LGBTQ patients. I don't expect them to affirm me because I hold to biblical teaching. Why should I have to give deference toward a certain group? And the answer came back because that is their identity. And if you don't, you could be fined, could become a legal matter. In other words, don't treat everyone alike. You had better treat some with special deference. Clap. I could give you so many other examples, but I shall hurry on. But people today are asking themselves, am I woke enough to be seen as virtuous? As a, am I seen clapping? And if clapping, the louder, the better. Get on with a cultural stream. There's a second reason that uh, Victor David Hansen gives, and that is that um, in the Soviet system, the media was in line with the Communist Party and its agenda. You know, it, it was basically a mouthpiece for the Soviet agenda. Pravda, the major newspaper. In Russian, Pravda, Pravda means truth. And truth becomes truth because the government says it's truth. Now I'm going to tell you something I didn't mention this morning because there's so much I could say, but we're going to have to hurry here. I have a clock that actually now is counting down. I have to tell you this morning, it was counting up and I kept thinking, how come I have so much time? As a matter of fact, I have more time now than I had 10 minutes ago. You know, and I was going to take them all the way to lunch, but then I understood. Now it's counting down and it's going far too fast with somebody Shut off the clock for just a minute. In George Orwell's 1984, a guy by the name of Winston was taken into a room and taught that two plus two is equal to five. And sometimes two plus two is equal to three. And sometimes it is both. Now, he wasn't taught that in order to actually think that they could change his mind on the subject, but so that he would learn to live by lies. He wanted, they wanted to make him comfortable living with lies and giving intellectual assent to things that he knew were lies. And that's where we are today in the whole transgender phenomenon. You know, men can have babies too. You live by lies and be comfortable with it. But that's thrown in at no extra cost. There won't be another offering or anything, will there be? <laughs> so the point is that Pravda becomes truth. Now, you know the cancel culture. People have been canceled because of a different view of the vaccines, climate change, gender issues. Christian ministries have been canceled. I have to hurry on because after all, you have to be in line now with the cultural streams. Clap. What I'd like you to do is turn to Daniel chapter 3. And I know if you're under 40, you probably don't have a Bible. You have a cell phone. And you have an iPad. And you have this. And you have that. No matter what gadget you brought with you, find it. 
I think Pastor Doug is okay with me saying this, but for those of you who are under 40, could you look up here for just a moment? This actually is a Bible. Do you see this? (laughs) This actually is a Bible. And we're going to turn to Daniel chapter 3, and I'm going to summarize it for you, and then I'm going to tell you when you can begin to take notes, though you can begin to take notes at any time. But those of you who take notes, ah, your reward shall be great. Daniel chapter 3, Daniel sets up an image 90 feet high, brings everybody to the plain of Dura, and says, when you hear the music, and in verse 6 of chapter 3, he lists about six or eight different instruments, when you hear the music, bow down and worship. And if you don't, you'll be thrown into the furnace, the fiery furnace. So everybody bows. All the Jews that had come from Jerusalem to Babylon, they were, of course, taken there as hostages. It's a huge story. They were there in the plain, no doubt about it. They, most of them, I'm sure, were bowing. But there were three guys who did not bow. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, affectionately known as shake the bed, make the bed, and into bed you go. These guys would not bow. So somebody tattles and says, King, there are three Jews out there who aren't bowing. The king brings them in, and remember, the king knows them. He knows them. When they came from Babylon, he selected some very sharp Hebrew men to be his advisors, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. Now, Daniel isn't in this story. We don't know where he was that day. Maybe it was his day off. But here you have three people whom he knows and he respected. And he said, you know, I could throw you in the fiery furnace, but I'm not going to. I'm such a kind king. Let's have a redo. Maybe you weren't reading your emails. You may not have gotten the memo. It may not have uh, reached you. But we're going to give you a second chance because I'm so gracious. He says, if you don't bow when the music begins, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, your Bibles are open. I can see a man back there with his open Bible. God bless him. I have no idea who he is. My eyesight is not clear enough to see the features of his face, but I do see an open Bible. God bless you, brother. (laughs) All right. I hope that you can take my lightheartedness at certain points. Chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. What are the three convictions that we must instill in our children and grandchildren so that they would not be willing to bow to the culture. There are three convictions. Number one, of course, is a belief in the power of God. You'll notice it says, I love this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, it's not necessary for us to answer you regarding this. In other words, we don't need a long discussion. This is not time for a listening discussion. You know, because what we have to do is we have to listen, go on a listening tour. It's not necessary that we do that. We believe, oh God, that our God is able to deliver us, and we even believe that he will. They believed in the power of God. And if you don't believe in the power of God, 
you're not a Christian. You do not understand Christianity. You do not understand the Bible. Our God is in the heavens. He's done whatsoever he has pleased. Every Christian believes in the sovereignty of God, that God can deliver, that God can heal. And so I'm going to go to the next conviction because the first is so obvious. The second uh, conviction is this, and now we get to one of the greatest stories of faith anywhere in the Bible. But, I'm in verse 18, but if not, the allies are fighting at Dunkirk in France and the German armies are coming toward them and the commander of the armies of Dunkirk wires to England with three words, but if not. In those days, England still had a Christian base and they'd have understood it's a reference to Daniel chapter three, verse 18. But if not, O king, let it be known unto you, O king, we will not bow down. We believe that God is going to deliver us, but we're not absolutely sure. Maybe we will be thrown into the fire, but even if we are, that's okay. We will not bow. Now, I have to tell you something. I preached this message earlier this morning. And after this service, I met a man who was here for the early service. And he showed me his arm and on his arm, Pastor Doug, in Hebrew letters were the words, but if not. He and his wife went through a very difficult time and I asked him if I could use his story and he said, yes, I met him out in the hallway. And uh, I thought that was very interesting that he indicated that even though they were going through this trial and even if there might not be any deliverance or hope, they were still going to trust God. But if not, oh God, we believe that you are able to hear this, heal this young woman from cancer or COVID. But if you don't, we'll still continue to believe and to trust in you. And you know what? I heard a few faint amens. And I pointed out this morning that that's wonderful. In Indiana, you can still say amen in a service. That's great. We'll hurry on. The fact is the providence of God. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with the unpredictability of God? You know, Acts chapter 12, Herod kills um, kills uh, James with a sword. Peter is to be brought out the next day to be killed. And what's the guy doing? He's sleeping. The only reason I can think Peter would be sleeping is because he wanted to arrive in heaven rested. I don't know that if I were told I'm going to be beheaded the next day, I'm not sure that I would be sleeping. But God saves one he delivers the other. God heals one. God doesn't heal the other. Blessed are those who say, Lord, we're trusting you. We're believing you, but we are entrusting ourselves to your providence. But if not, we will continue to trust you and believe you anyway, and we'll allow the decision 
to be yours. I was telling your pastor during the break that in acceptance, there is peace. You accept it. The third is the presence of God. They knew that God would be with them if they were thrown into the fiery furnace and burned. They did not know that the fourth man would walk among them. Now, you know the rest of the story, how they turned out to be the asbestos kids, because no matter how hot the fire became, they did not burn. Now, they would not have had this glorious experience if they had bowed. God has a special blessing and special presence for those who are willing to not bow to the culture and take the consequences of it. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you. And so they did not bow. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you four lessons, four lessons as we apply this account to our American situation in the year 2022. Number one, we must learn to stand alone. I know that there were three of them, but weren't there 10,000 Jews that went from Jerusalem to Babylon? I'm sure there were hundreds, if not thousands, that were there in the plain, and they were probably bowing because they were saying in themselves, Lord, Jehovah, I'm going to bow with my body, but you know that my heart belongs to you. And let's not be too critical of them because we don't know what we would do if we were under that kind of persecution. But still, of course, they should not have bowed. But these three men were standing alone with thousands around them going with the culture, going with the expectation of bowing. If you're here today as a university student, as a college student, when you go to college today, you may not be talked out of your faith, but you might be mocked out of your faith. You believe that old book, the Bible, do you realize how out of step that is with the culture? Because you see, we're living at a time when people interpret the Bible in light of the culture and not critique the culture in light of the Bible. Are you, are you really that ancient? Don't you understand how unloving it is? Oh, I wish I could tell you how love is being misused, but we have to hurry on because this clock is counting down. Somebody did not stop it. We always remember people who stood alone. We don't remember those who went along with the stream. Look, at there were 12 spies that went into the land, and we only remember two, Joshua and Caleb. If you can mention one of the other 10 names without looking at your cell phone or a Bible, you just happen to know one of the other 10, you come up to me later and I'll give you $100. And I pointed out this morning, I do not have $100, but Doug does. <laughs> Pastor Doug said that he'd stand in for me. Of course, we don't remember those guys. We think, for example, of Germany, and there were many faithful pastors, many, at least 700. But we think primarily of one of the most famous, and that is Bonhoeffer. Why? Because he stood alone. He stood against the culture and ended up being hung in Flossenburg for it. So 
we must learn to stand alone because you're going to find that you're going to stand alone in a crowd because the crowd is clapping. And you are saying, I will not clap. You must stand alone. I think, for example, of Martin Luther, in whom I have more than just a passing interest. It's been my privilege to lead tours to the sites of the Reformation many times. But do you know the words that he spoke there at the Diet of Worms? When he said these words, my conscience is taken captive by the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I will not recant. Here stehe ich, ich kann nicht anderes. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. I cannot even tell you how all of church history parted how different church history would read if Luther had gone with the prevailing culture and religious culture. We honor people who stand alone. Number two, we must fear God more than the fire. We must fear God more than the fire. These men said, even if we are thrown into the fiery furnace, we will not bow. If I had read Solzhenitsyn's complete account of the people clapping for Stalin, I would have read these words that as they were standing there and it was going on seven or eight minutes, it says they were done for, their goose was cooked. Can you imagine Solzhenitsyn writing that as he exposes the system of communism in the gulag? Their goose was cooked. Have you heard that expression? Where did that come from? Well, it's about 1414 and uh, 1415, and a man in Prague, Czechoslovakia, is preaching the gospel, and the Pope doesn't like it. His name is John Hus. In the Czech language, Hus means goose. He used to sign his letters, the goose. He's banished. He has given safe conduct to the Council of Constance in Germany, which was meeting to resolve a very interesting situation that we must skip for lack of time. The clock is running. And uh, he is told that he is going to be able to return home safely. He's tried for heresy. The Emperor Sigismund says that he doesn't have to keep his word to a heretic. And uh, Hus is burned at the stake. But when he goes to the stake to be burned, it is with joy, but he says this, you can cook this goose, but after me, in a hundred years, a swan will arise, and him you will not silence. 102 years later, Martin Luther nails his 95 theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, and Luther said he believed that he was the fulfillment of Huss's prophecy. And by the way, the swan has become a symbol of the Reformation in Germany. My point is simply this, Hus feared God more than the fire. Do you fear God more than flunking out of uh, college? Do you fear God more than losing your job because you are not willing to go along with the spirit of the times? Does your fear of God so overwhelm you that say that you say no matter the consequences, I will fear God more? even than flames. 
May God raise up many people who say that. Lesson number three, we don't have to win in this life in order to win in the next. We don't have to win in this life in order to win in the next. I say that because there are all kinds of people who have been burned when they've been thrown into the fire. I'm going to throw something in that I normally don't at this point, but you're such a wonderful group of people. Do you know that there have been more people martyred after the Reformation because they believed that one should be baptized upon profession of faith rather than being baptized as an infant? More died and were massacred than died in the early centuries in Rome because infant baptism was the glue that held church and state together. It was like citizenship. And for love nor money, people wouldn't give up the idea of this universal church. And so whole villages of men, women, and children were massacred. I'll tell you, when you study church history, you begin to realize that there are all kinds of people who didn't win in this life, but they won in the life to come. Jesus didn't win in this life. He's crucified, he's rejected, he goes through all that pain, and, uh, but he endured and he's seated at the right hand of God and he's waiting for us. Your pastor pointed out the book, One Minute After You Die. In that book, I point out how that Jesus was the forerunner who ran ahead of us and is seated today in heaven saying to you and to me, I managed and you can manage too. I went through all this. I died being relatively young, but that's okay. The value of your life is going to be measured by eternity and not time. So what you must do is to recognize. I told the story of a young girl in the Boxer Rebellion in China. They put a cross at the um, at the doorstep of a Christian school and said, if you step on the cross, that means you despise it. You can live. If you walk around the cross in honor of it, we'll put you to death. And uh, the first seven or eight students stood on the cross. They were allowed to live. But number nine, I believe it was, was a girl who prayed that God would give her the grace to do what she should. And she walked around the cross and was shot and everybody else followed her example. I read an article that said, in effect, telling a similar story, what a waste of life. She could have stepped on the cross and then confessed her sin later and told the Lord she really did love him. Well, she was a loser in this life, but I can assure you of this, she was a winner in the life to come. And it's the life to come that really matters. Next lesson is the power of a faithful witness, the power of a faithful witness. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a very evil king. When his armies captured Jerusalem, his soldiers took Jewish babies and threw them against a wall. By the way, the atrocities that you see on TV today with happening at the, in the Ukraine have happened repeatedly throughout history. It's just that we haven't seen it because there was no television to record it or to show it to us. My parents were Germans. They were raised in the Ukraine. 
World War I, they became refugees. My mother's family went to Siberia. My father's family went to Afghanistan. His mother and my grandmother died there. My father was about 12 years old, threw himself across the bed, thought he'd never stop crying, and then his brother died the next day. All of the horror that you read about, they experienced. But um, Nebuchadnezzar's armies were unbelievably cruel. They were heartless. We can think of them in the terms of Nazi, for example. And yet, this Nebuchadnezzar ended up believing in the true God. He began to believe after these three men were rescued by this fourth man, who was the son of God, Jesus actually. And uh, later on, God humbles him. He puts him out in the pasture with animals for seven months. And he comes back and he says this, and I want you to grasp what Nebuchadnezzar said, because I memorized it years ago and it almost takes your breath away. He said, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and my understanding returned to me. By the way, sanity is knowing who you are and knowing who God is. He said, at the end of the days, my, my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever and ever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom goes from one generation to another. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? He became a worshiper of the true and the living God. And I agree with the Moody commentary on the Bible. You've heard of Moody, I'm sure. I mean, you've heard of God, you've heard of Moody. And um, it says that Nebuchadnezzar became a believer in the true God and a worshiper of the true God. And so I fully expect that Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven someday. It's amazing whom God cannot save. That's why grace is such a scandal. I could shock you if I were to tell you about God's grace. Well, I still have a few minutes left. Let me shock you. In the Nuremberg trials, 21 were hung. Six were Catholic, 15 were Protestant. Six, through the testimony of a chaplain, came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Ribikoff, who was one of Hitler's henchmen, foreign representative, before he died, I entrust my soul to the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross for my sins. It's a scandal. But grace is scandalous. It even saved you of all things. I thought I'd hear a louder amen, but man, I'm willing to go with anything at this point. I believe that there is going to come a separation in the evangelical community. And there's gonna be a big separation between those who submit to the culture and give the culture what it wants, and those who are gonna stand against the culture and consider it a badge of honor to be marginalized, fired, 
persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the gospel and consider that a badge of honor. We as Americans have to rethink our view of persecution. It is actually an honor, but we don't look at it that way. The question is going to be, and I already hinted at it, are we going to interpret the Bible through the lens of culture and come up with what we kind of want, or are we going to critique the culture through the lens of Scripture? Blackaby, Henry Blackaby, you've heard of him, he says, do you not already hear the warnings of God? Do you not see that the enemy is coming in like a flood? God is trying to raise a standard against it, and you and I are that standard. I want us to bow our heads in prayer for just a moment. Would you do that? I want to give you a moment to talk to God. If God has talked to you, you talk to God, and then I'll close in prayer in about a minute. But I want you to ask yourself, are you willing to live for Christ no matter the cost, to fear him even more than the furnace? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone listening to this message, either here or online. We are weak. We do not have courage. Help us, Father, in our weakness. Help students and business people to remain strong in their faith, to not surrender their convictions for the cause of Christ and for the gospel. Thank you for the privilege of representing you in a culture even as it collapses around us. I pray for this church, I pray for its ministry, I pray for Pastor Doug and all those whom he leads. Give them many open doors in the community and I pray, Father, that they shall see your hand of blessing in the days and the years ahead. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.